0: you mm-hmm. Hello, everyone. This is Mary Mack. I'm so fortunate to be here today with Lisa Bain. She's from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and she's graciously agreed to talk about her daughter. And she was only 17 when she passed away in a car accident. And we're talking about death of a teen. This is the bereaved mother's series that we have put together. And I'm so grateful that she's agreed to be here with us. And her daughter, Katie, passed on seven years ago now. This was in 2015. And please welcome her today to this show. Thank you for being here so much, Lisa. Please tell us about yourself.
1: Well, I'm Lisa, as you you introduced. (laughs) And I was... I was, uh, you know, a mid-40s average mom, healthcare professional, mother of two, married to my husband for years and years and years. And we were, you know, the biggest concern in our lives at that point in time was, you know, we've got four busy schedules. My daughter was dancing and my son was involved with basketball. My husband has a busy career. I had a brief busy career. Our biggest concern at that point was when can we fit the holidays in? Where are we going? How are we going to coordinate everything? That that was. I had a pretty awesome life, you know. At the time, my daughter was seventeen and my son was fifteen, and I suspect we had all the same growing pains and all of the same issues that most households do with teenagers. You know, we would we would argue about the the little things, and uh, you know. Things like when you had to be home and, and all of that kind of thing. But life was good. We had, we had you know, just a, a lot of wonderful memories, the four of us. And then the unspeakable happened. The thing that nobody thinks is ever going to happen to them. And this is really, this is exactly what happened. So my daughter, Katie, was, um, you and I talked about this before, she was the child I never worried about. She was on top of her schoolwork. She would come home, say, hey, mom, I got 98% of my calculus exam. And I'd be thinking to myself, I didn't even know you had a test, but good for you. Awesome. Um, She had been a competitive dancer for most of her life. So she was really dialed in with her nutrition. You know, she was dead set against drugs. Alcohol, you know, just making good decisions. She was a rule follower. You know, she didn't necessarily like the rules, but we always said, you know, these are the rules, these are the consequences. So she knew when she messed up that those were the consequences. Mm -hmm. She was quite easy to parent in that sense. Although she was a little bit fiery and a little bit spicy. But the night that she passed away, she was doing homework in this office. Mm -hmm. And she came flying out of the office, yelled down the hallway towards the bedroom and said, Dad, can you please review my, I think it was an English paper. Can you review that? I'm going to run out for a few minutes, but I have to submit that by midnight. And she, you know, she's just a fast moving kid. She put on her, her winter coat and her her boots and out the door she went, she, she, I was sitting right there on the couch in the living room, right by the front door. And she just zoomed out so quickly that I didn't have the opportunity to say, drive carefully, you know, see you later. I love you. And my kids always had to be home by 10 o'clock on a school night. This was a Tuesday. And I remember sending her a text about 945 as I was getting ready for bed. Just see you soon. Hope you're on your way, kind of a thing. And both my husband and I climbed into bed with our books and we're, you know, getting opening our books and we hear this knock, knock, knock on the door. And we both just looked at each other and my husband jumped out of bed and and ran to the door. And I didn't know who it was, but I could just tell by the voice that something serious was happening. And normally, if anybody comes to the door and I'm in my pajamas, you're not going to see me. But I came, I think I came running down the hall, and here was a police officer and a lady dressed in black, who I later learned was the coroner. And honest to goodness, my husband said he knew right away. Um, but our son at the time had been making some some poor decisions in his life, and I thought the police was there. About something that my son had done, my son was home, but i I, I couldn't help but think what did that little bugger do? <laughs> and so I'm kind of waiting. And it was just like you see in the movies. the officer took us over to our sofa. You folks need to sit down." And he did not miss a beat. He just said, "I regret to inform you that your daughter, Katie, has been killed." In a fatal car accident, and of course there were the immediate questions because you're you're in disbelief. Sure, um, uh, yeah, I remember I just sat there with my mouth hanging open. But my husband said, "Well, how do you know it was her? Well, her wallet was with her. You know, are you sure it was her car?" Like, oh, you just don't want to believe that what this man is telling you is the truth.
0: You've only had a few seconds to process it.
1: Yeah, and I. I remember, I don't, I can honestly say that I, I didn't cry, but what I was starting to do was I was literally jump like shaking so badly that my whole body was going up and down uncontrollably. And I, I remember seeing the officer, I remember watching his mouth move. And all I really, really remember after that was that he said he was certain that she was killed on impact which, you know, it's it's hard to say that you're grateful about anything regarding your child's passing. But I do remember feeling so grateful that there was no suffering, that there was no suffering, that she was not, you know, in any kind of condition that she was just waiting, waiting, waiting for help to come. And then my, as I said, my son was home. Um, he came upstairs and he didn't believe the news either. Um, so the officer had to sit with him for a bit. Um, but it's one of those moments in your life that it feels like yesterday. I will never forget the details of that night. But it feels like a lifetime ago, all at the same time. Wow! And that's when we began figuring this new life out. Figuring out how we were going to be a family of three. When in my heart, I knew that we would always be a family of four. How do you do that? So we, we all struggle in our own way. It's so, so, so true that we all grieve differently. You know, here's my husband and I who, you know, have been married for, gosh, at that time, probably around 25 years. We've been together a long time. We'd had Katie together. You know, you marry somebody because you're so, so, so much like in your, in your thinking. We grieved like night and day. I was the person who needed to talk. I needed to do things in Katie's honor. I didn't want her forgotten. I was just, I've learned since then that my trauma response is busyness. So I thrived on that. Busy, 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 talk, 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 reach out. I'm also a fixer by nature. So (laughs) I, I was looking for all the resources and how to help my son and where do we go for counseling and all this stuff and my husband is 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 very much a quiet griever. He grieves quietly on his own. I was fortunate. I had worked up at, at that point I had been at the cancer agency where I work as a radiation therapist for 25 years. I had sick leave coming out the wazoo and I thought I think I think now's the time to take it. So I took 10 months off. Wow. To work on my grief. Well, and the other thing was I felt like I had to hold this little family together,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because we're all drastically doing our grief differently. I felt this need to just keep pulling them back in. I was so scared of losing someone else. And so I thought, well, if I can be the one at home, um, as I said, my my son was struggling and and, you know, just making bad choices at that point in his life. And I I felt like I needed to be extra strong for him, whether that's right or wrong. So, you know, he he became my my mission every day. He became the reason that I put my feet on the ground every day. Mm-hmm. And again, as crazy as it sounds, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that difficult time in his and my life because if he'd been the kid that got up, got his breakfast, got out the door, went to school, i didn't have to wor- quote unquote worry about him. I might still be in bed. Yeah, with my grief. Right? But he because of of the way he was and where he was at in his life, he kind of forced me to to figure it out quickly and to and to move on. My husband needed to go to work. He's a pharmacist by trade. You know, he I and i don't know how he did it. But we had encouraged our son to go back to school a week following Katie's accident. And the reason was, is she died December 8th. Oh, my. So he was off for a week. So essentially, there was a week left before Christmas break. Then you're off for two, break, two weeks. And we said to him, you know what, pal? I think if you're off, you know, for this stretch of time, let's say a month, it's going to be really, really hard to go back. Yeah. So we encouraged him to go back um, that first week, and and you know he, first it was an afternoon, then it was you know we eased him into it. But my husband said, "Well, if he, we're making him go to school, you know one of us should probably go to work. So <laughs> work short days, and he would drop my son at school." go to work for about five or six hours and then pick them up. But we were just so, so, so different in our grief. And, you know, it's, I I can understand why why marriages fall apart. Interestingly enough, when I wrote my book, I did a lot of research on the topic of marriage after child loss. And I think we've been led astray. Actually, over 70% of marriages do survive the loss of a child but it's it just makes sense when you when you hear it it's if your marriage was okay what marriage is perfect but if your marriage was okay going into this odds are that it will be okay you know and providing that you each give each other grace and just really hold space for one another but if your marriage wasn't in good shape and there was something big going on you know obviously added child loss is, is not going to help. And, and those marriages typically do fall apart. But I remember at the six month mark, because we were doing our grief so differently thinking, Ooh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're going to make it, but we did. We did. And I, I think really the reason we did is just, we couldn't really support one another. We could barely stand up ourselves. We were both focused on helping our son, but there were a lot of days that we just said, I love you. I don't know how to support you right now, but know that I, as much as I can, I am here for you. And sometimes those are the only things that we were able to say, but it was just that reiteration and that acknowledgement that I do love you. I'm so sorry you're hurting. I'm hurting too you know, we're doing the best we can. We tried counseling off the hop, uh, not marriage counseling, but family counseling for grief. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately didn't have a good experience. Mm -hmm. We found, well, we were directed to uh, a young woman who I don't think had children herself. I don't think she had a whole lot of experience counseling families. And, uh, (laughs) I remember, I think it was the first day we met with her. I feel terrible admitting this now. <laughs> but as much as I don't think I was really one for anger in my grief, I had angry moments. And I had an angry moment with this counselor. <laughs> she pulled out her laminated sheet about the five stages of grief. And I literally gave her the hands. And as a healthcare professional, I knew that that theory was created for those who are dying, exactly, not a bereaved family. Yes. So I literally said, "Don't, don't talk to us about
0: this."
1: (laughs) Yeah. So. Just to add salt to the wound, she literally spinned around in her wheelie chair and said, well, maybe your son would like to hear about this. And of course, he was 15. He was angry. He was not receptive to any of this. It was not a good experience. But I did go on to find my own therapist, both my son and my husband. After two or three visits to this person, I just kept going because I thought if they're getting something out of it, I'll go. I'll keep going. But on the car ride home, I think after the second or third visit, they both said, why are you making us do this? (laughs) We don't, it's not helping. So we jump ship on that. But uh, I still go. I still see somebody even seven, almost seven and a half years in. It's not every week. It's not every month. Uh, Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But I think I think that proper counseling, proper therapy is needed. Yes, you know, support groups, peer support, all of this kind of thing are helpful, but I think, I don't think, I know a therapist and a counselor just have the extra training to help us deal with the things we're not even aware of that, that are in there that we need to sort through. But I also, prior to losing Katie, As I said, I was I I I still work in healthcare, but I was also working as a as a consultant and as a health coach. And you know, I've had my own struggles with um, anxiety and depression, you know, on and off throughout the years. And I, I really discovered years ago, actually, when my son was born, that exercise was like my antidepressant. And so I was a big believer that that exercise can it oh, doesn't fix things, but it can help. Healthy eating, all of these things. So these tools were pre-existing. And I remember running on my treadmill. As I said, we live in Canada. You know, it was December. We've got four-foot snowbanks outside. <laughs> so I would run on my treadmill. And I'm, I'm not a gazelle. It's not pretty to watch me. It's kind of a disaster <laughs> watching run but i would plod along on the treadmill i would run 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 until i couldn't run till i could barely go up the stairs to go back upstairs but it gave me that that feeling i don't want to say euphoria i don't want to say the high because it just doesn't seem to go with with grief but it would it would get my mental state to a space where i would think okay I can do this for one more day. So that was a huge, it got me through a lot, a lot, especially in the beginning. Having said that, I also hit what I'm going to call my rock bottom at about the six or seven month mark. And what I mean by that is I really wanted to join my daughter on the other side.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had been prescribed sleeping bills and I remember counting them out in my hand and my husband and I have a wine rack, often have a dozen bottles or more in the house. We collect when we travel and, you know, and I, I really remember trying to figure out, you know, in this deep, deep, dark hole. And it sounds crazy now, but I just remember thinking, okay, so, do you take the sleeping pills first and wash them down with the wine? Or do you drink? Anyway, you know, just this irrational thinking. Mm-hmm. But I was, I had these pills in my hand. And I, I literally, as I'm thinking, trying to sort through this question of what do I do first and how do I make this happen, I glanced across the picture or the room at my daughter's picture. I didn't even mean to look at it, but my eyes just traveled across there. And it was almost as if she was talking to me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't hearing voices or anything, but she, it was just like, "Mom, ah, yes, what are, you, what are you doing?
0: Yeah, what, are you, what
1: doing? are you doing?" And just so much disappointment in her in her voice, or what I imagined her to saying. And then look, at, you know, again, like oh, like kind of had that jolt, and then you know, kind of just. Sitting in my thoughts, and my eyes kind of again across the room and saw a picture of my son, and and I, I'm thankful that I was at least in a. There must have been some kind of rationale, you know, working in my brain, and I thought, dear God, Lisa, how do you think this is going to help your son if you do something like this? He will never have a chance of getting his feet underneath him again, and that. I held on to that truth and that story, that, that experience until I was at a speaking engagement, um, a few years back prior to COVID 2019, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I was preparing this speech and it was the whole uh, event was about overcoming. And my husband knew that I was going to be, you know, telling a bit about our story, but he didn't know. I never shared with him about that day. And, um. I still get a little bit emotional about it because as I'm practicing my speech for the first time in front of him, I just see him go white. He said, How come you didn't tell me? And all I could say was, Because I knew how broken you were, you didn't need anything more on your back. Mm -hmm. Probably not the right thing for anybody to do who's having those kinds of suicidal thoughts. But I, I share that story because I think being transparent is so important on this journey now where I am at seven and a half years I talk about joy I talk about you know fun things you know and, and I think sometimes people think oh well she she's had an easy go of it well, Yeah, <laughs> sure I actually I actually had one grieving mother say because she only knows The evolved Lisa, Mm -hmm. you must have loved your daughter as much as I love my son because I could never talk about joy. Yeah. So I, I just, I just like to share that part of my story because grief is that ugly. Grief is that hard. You know, it does change though. If we allow it to change. Yes. I believe that life can be beautiful and meaningful, and pretty awesome, even after you lose a child. It's never the same. I would give my right arm, I would give anything to go back to my old life with Katie, but with work, with skills, with tools, with the right people in your path, you can
0: have a great life again. Yes, I think uh, that took me a long time. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people feel that that's the case. They feel that they're going to be in this this dark place for the rest of their life.
1: And I, I, I'm i not sure why we have to hold on to that idea that it, life is over. Yes. You know, when everything is black and bleak and it's going to be miserable forever. I almost wonder if society... Makes us feel that way. Well, because I remember the first time I laughed, it was mm-hmm. um, about nine months after, and we took a lot of holidays that first year. I was off, and they weren't all big holidays. Sometimes it was a weekend away, but you know what it's like when you're you have a staycation, right? Like everybody just they're on their own devices. My son would be off with his friends. Like there was no family time. And I thought we really needed to learn how to be a family of three. And one particular holiday, we went out to British Columbia, gorgeous, gorgeous province in Canada.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: I was walking along the ocean and it was just one of those perfect days. The sun was warm. It was like a blanket on your skin. Sun was shining, you know, on this side of, of the beach, the forest was lush and thick. You could smell the pine. Oh, On this side, the water was just lapping at your feet. And I remember turning my face up to the sun as I'm walking along. My husband and son are further ahead of me and just going and smiling and actually feeling happy. And then just thinking, like, almost hearing that, I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? Lisa? <laughs> yes. Like, What's wrong with you? Like, your, your child has died. You're not allowed to be happy. That's right. But then I kind of had this Oprah moment, this epiphany, <laughs> and I just thought, well, I was happy for that little moment, but it didn't take my grief away. It didn't make me miss Katie any, any more or any less, rather. So I thought, I think it's really possible to carry our grief in one hand and joy, gratitude, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. in the other hand. So that, that's really been the way that I've moved forward with my life. I'm not never trying to get rid of my grief. I'm never trying to make it smaller. In fact, that thought took a huge weight off my shoulders because I thought somehow I had to make my grief different, make it smaller, make it lighter. And that moment made me think, no, I don't. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm going to carry this sucker forever.
0: Yeah, But I can still do things. I can build my life around my grief. Yes. Yes. I I think that's remarkable because I wish more people would really take those words to heed. You know, what you just said was so, I believe is so important. I don't know where it was along society's uh, path where they tell, like they make people believe that if you have, uh, the death of a child, or if you have some violent death, for instance, or whatever death you're you've experienced, somehow or another, you're not alive, allowed to really live your life. You know, yeah. you're supposed to put the rest of your life on hold for some unknown reason. That's what we've taught each other, and I don't believe it needs to be that way. And obviously, Lisa, you don't either you know, and you've experienced the good parts of life again. And I just want everyone to really take into account what Lisa just shared with you, because it's, it's a lesson that will change your life. And you need to, you know, no matter what we've been through, it's a valuable lesson extremely valuable lesson that you've shared with us and i hope everyone will really think about it let it sink in you're not here to live the rest of your life in a dark place you're here to live your life and this is the only one we have well and along those lines you know i
1: i think grief especially acute grief gives us a lot of time to think and our mind goes to some pretty dark places. Like I, like I shared,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I always would come back to this one thought over and over and over again. And that was even in the early days, I believe that heaven isn't way up in the sky. I believe that our, our people, our loved ones are still with us. It's just as mere mortals, as mere humans, we just don't have the ability to see them but I would always imagine Katie over one shoulder or the other or in front of me and thinking, I wonder what she thinks. And just thinking, all I want to do is make her proud, Aww. make her smile and want her to be around me more. And I just thought I, f- I always felt more connected to her. I felt that she was you know, with me. I could feel her when I was in a better emotional place, when I was down and out and I was miserable in my grief, I didn't feel her at all. I didn't feel her presence at all. So of course you crave that as a grieving mother, you crave the feeling of their presence. So, you know, it was kind of like, Pavlov's dogs like it was like it was this reinforcement all the time that you know okay Lisa like if you're if you go on a holiday and you smile Katie's there if you're losing your mind over here and counting sleeping pills and wine bottles she's not there so it just it was almost like an internal training if you will that just encouraged me to find more ways to find moments of joy, things that made me smile, you know, doing, creating memorial projects for her, creating an angel garden in my backyard. And when I'm in there and I'm working on that, and you know, the butterflies are coming, I feel close to Katie. So that is how I live my life now is how can I make my daughter proud?
0: How can I honor her memory? How can I make her smile? Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Will you tell us about your book and tell us about your Angel Moms VIP community? Because you've done an awful lot, you know, to honor her and to help other bereaved mothers. And I'm I'm so grateful to be able to promote that right now so that more people will know about it and share it with others who may be going through this now and don't know how to help another bereaved mother, but this is an excellent way to do it. Please tell us about that.
1: Yeah. When I lost Katie in 2015, as I said, I was looking for all kinds of resources. And sadly, I couldn't find a lot that, either were encouraging or that gave me hope or even that were specifically about losing a child. There's a number of books out there that are about general grief, but I just felt like when I was reading them, they they didn't speak to me. Mm -hmm. I feel like the loss of a child is a really unique thing and it needs to be treated as such. So (laughs) one day I said to my husband, I want to write a book. And he just looked at me and he said, What on earth would you write about? <laughs> I said, oh, Yeah. I said, Our journey. Yeah. And he said, Why? Mm-hmm. And I said, Because I want to share our story in hopes that it might give one other person mm-hmm. some hope. So in 2019, I published Journey to Healing, a mother's guide to navigating child loss. And it was it's a really unique book because it's not just here's my sad story but I included quotes from 31 other mothers. Oh wow. And actually the book is more filled with tools, strategies, ideas, helpful thoughts, ways to reframe our thinking because sometimes we can go down those dark holes, how to pull ourselves out and yes. and cope. But most of all, hope. That's the underlying message. So after I published, I thought, okay, now what do I do? Because I, I felt like, okay, people can read a book, but we need more. We need interaction as grieving mothers. I think it's so powerful to talk to other grieving mothers. That was pivotal in my journey. I've met lots and lots of women early on and later on, but I remember early on, I I met these two women at a bereaved moms get together, and it was like one of those those situations where there's lots of people around you, but your vision just kind of goes in to focus on the, this conversation. This these two people, it was like in my mind's eye, they were the only two people there. They were both all put together, you know, makeup on, uh, hair done, and they were talking like their two girlfriends you know, who were just getting caught up. Wow. And, and there was Christmas time. I lost Katie December 8th. So I met them oddly enough. I don't know how I ended up there, but I went to this brave mom's meeting, I think four days before Christmas. So this was just weeks after I lost Katie. Wow. And I remember listening to these women just saying, and they were like five and seven years out at that point. And the one woman said, yeah, she goes, we're going to do Christmas. Uh, my son." She had a same situation, lost a daughter, had a surviving son and said, my son deserves Christmas. He deserves happy memories too, but we're just not going to do it the same. We're going to have hot dogs and wieners and we're going to open gifts up on, on New Year's Eve. And, you know, like she just, they were going to do it different, but I just remember thinking, wow, if they can do it, so can
0: I. That's
1: right. And that, so then after I wrote my book, I created a couple of courses and that was okay, but it was, you know, grief doesn't have a timeline. You don't go through a course Mm -hmm. and graduate all healed. So I kind of put that to the side. And then in 2021, I created the Angel Moms VIP community and it is a membership. And I resisted that for so long because I thought, yuck. Who wants to belong to a membership about pivotal pasts? Yes. <laughs> but really, I mean, who wants to belong to that? But the longer I thought about it, the more it made sense because I thought grief is this lifelong thing, right? Yeah. So, what it is is it's a membership But it's where we come together. It's really, really, really unique because not only do I have a library full of all kinds of videos and resources on a myriad of topics about child loss specifically, there's interviews with other grieving moms, there's yoga, there's journaling sessions, there's all kinds of things. But the best part, and what everybody tells me they love the most, is our weekly live zoom calls. So if you can imagine, it's like you and I here, but with 25 to 30 of our other grieving mom friends. And every week is a little bit different. Sometimes we have a member mixer and we bring pictures of our kids and we share, and it might be, you know, here's my story, because I do think we need to tell our story, Mm -hmm. but it might be you know, some moms who are further out saying, I'm working on this project. We have one lady at Christmas time, she started a project called Pajamas for Paige or PJs for Paige, I guess it was. And she and all her family and all her friends bought pajamas that they thought that Paige would like and they <laughs> donated them. That's great. And I guess this has become a big thing. So she likes to share about that. And then the other moms get ideas about you know projects, and then they report back. So that's one thing we do. I also do group discussions where I will uh, present for about twenty minutes on a grief-related topic, or we might watch a video together, and then we break into groups and we discuss how does how does this feel? You know, how does this change our grief? What, what's your takeaway? As I said, we have guest speakers about once a month talking about a variety of things. But I think one of the most beautiful things that I've seen as a a byproduct of this is all the friendships that are being made in the group,
0: right? You
1: know, um, even the moms who've lost a child in a specific manner, sometimes they really like to connect offline with one another. I have a couple of moms in Eastern Canada who now get together for coffee. You know, they'll they'll drive you know a couple hours each and meet in the middle. Oh, wonderful! But the, the cool thing about this is that we are all over North America. Um, I've also had some folks from the UK in the group, although it's harder for them to to join just because of the the time zone change or the time change, rather. Got a gal in Australia, but we all hop wow. on here call on zoom and uh the growth i have seen in this women in these women the hope the the encouragement the compassion that they share with with one another it really is heartwarming and i'm just there to guide it really it's these ladies that
0: bring their energy and their love to the group that just makes it so special but if you didn't create it and you didn't facilitate it It would never have grown into everything that it is and will become. And that is amazing, Lisa, because it took a lot of courage to do that. You didn't know where it was going to go, you didn't know how it was going to pan out or what it would mean to anyone. And look at how phenomenal it's become. And I just, my hat's off to you. It's phenomenal. Thank you. So, would you please tell us how do we spell your? Um, website. <laughs> uh, well, I got clever. How you say over your, your name time. and how it's spelled is a little different, and I want to make sure everybody knows it. The easiest way to find me
1: is um, I have um, a link that'll take you right to my website because you're right. The spelling of my name is a little bit odd, so the easiest way to find me is www. GriefSupportForMoms. Grief Support For Moms. That'll take you to my website. You'll see the link uh, where you can find my book on Amazon. You'll see the link, uh, all the information about the Angel Moms VIP community and how you can join us. My blog, other free resources. So that's really the place to go.
0: And it's a wonderful website. I've been a few times now, and you'll gain so much from it. And I hope that you'll take the time to join those groups and be with Lisa. And learn about her book and pick that up too. And Lisa, I want to thank you so much for talking about Katie today and all she was to you and is to you still. And for all the people that you help. And just bless you. Sending blessings to you.